0: We're gonna get ready to read and honor God's word. We're in a series called Breaking Bread. Everybody say Breaking Bread. This series is all about relationships. We talked last week how we're in a crisis of relationships. Relationships are fracturing all around us and the great news is that it does not have to be this way. There's biblical wisdom and there are gospel skills. Everybody say skills. There are relationship gospel skills that you can actually learn that can bring health and life to struggling relationships and even resurrection to seemingly dead relationships because your life is only as good, finish it with me, as your relationships. Last week, we talked about dealing with conflict in relationships. Specifically, we talked about Jesus's plan and his process for if and when inevitable relationship conflict comes around. If you missed it and you struggle with relationships and with conflict, basically, if you're a human being and you missed last week, I'd encourage you to check it out on the podcast or YouTube, just search Greenhouse South Florida. This week, I wanna dig a little bit deeper into this idea. If last week was about the conflict that exists in our relationships out here, this week is about dealing with the conflict in here. Come on, somebody. All right, turn to your Bibles. Matthew 22, this is gonna be good. I am so full of hope for what I think God wants to do. Lord, let it come out of my mouth. Like it's in my heart. Matthew 22, if you don't have a Bible, we got Sky Bible up on the screen for your viewing enjoyment. We got the Miami Heat in the playoffs. Any Heat fans out there? One time. We got the Florida Panthers in the playoffs. All four of us, one time for that. Number one seeds in the East. It is a great time to be a South Florida sports fan. When's the last time you said that? LeBron James, that's when, all right? Matthew 22, if you're ready, say preach, preacher. Preacher. All right. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, that's one religious group, and the Pharisees, that's the opposing religious group, the Pharisees got together and one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He was trying to stump them. You don't stump Jesus. Jesus.
1: Doesn't happen.
0: Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, all of the Torah, all of the teachings of God, hang on these two commandments. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, help us out. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, an elbow bump, tell him get ready. Anybody like to shop? Anybody like to shop? Okay, okay. I, uh, I I go in like a hunter-gatherer. When shopping, I go in to get the thing and leave, and I go off of expediency. That is how I do it. But either way, um, have you ever encountered a deal that just seemed too good to be true? I know this is bringing up some, some of y'all, like, scream. This is bringing up your some PTSD here, okay? Um, I, I remember, and maybe Guyana, maybe you can relate if you're watching online. I remember I was in high school, and I started working a job. I worked at PacSun, and, and you would have thought this is like a store in the mall, and I had to start buying some of my own clothing. Nothing makes you appreciate sales like when you got to pay for your own clothing. Can I get an amen? And so I remember I found this shirt and it was a great deal, which for my Hebrew heart was my love language. I was like, this is amazing. I found this deal. This shirt was like 50 or 60 bucks and it was marked down to 14.99. I was like, the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. I, but it just had this weird little mark on it. I didn't really know what it meant. It had this, these two little letters, I-R. Some of y'all know where this is going. So I didn't, I didn't really know what IR meant. Some of you apparently know what IR mean. I did not know what IR meant. And so I got the shirt. I was like, man, it's a great deal. And so if for those of you that are looking at me confused, IR means slightly Irregular it means that in the manufacturing process, they kind of made a little flub and it's not exactly as the manufacturer intended because of different factors. And so I brought my shirt home all excited, should have tried it on in the store, thank you process oriented people, but I didn't. I brought my shirt home all excited and it looked awesome. It was the right, it was a size medium and it looked like a size medium, but the shoulders were a size extra large. I'm like, Who, what do you wear, shoulder pads with this thing? Like what in the world? And I remember being so frustrated. So now here's what you need to know. If you buy a shirt that says IR, there's a policy in most department stores, which is it is an as is sale, which means no refunds and no returns. So I got stuck with my shoulder pad shirt and I was like, what am I gonna do with this thing? I'll play football in it, I guess. I don't really know. But I remember being so frustrated and I thought about that this week when I began thinking about human beings because, I mean, let's face it, humans, we we got flaws, temper, issues and insecurities and envy and and jealousy. And and we have all these different things, fear and suspicion and cynicism. And and if we're being truly circumspect, most human beings, all human beings really have this little I-R in our soul. We're all slightly irregular, aren't we? We all got our quirks. We all got our idiosyncrasies. I mean, except for my wife, Nancy, who's perfect, but the rest of us, like we all got, right? Can we just nod our heads and smile and let the tension down? Like we're all a little bit as is, like come with our quirk. We hide it as well as we can in dating. So couples workshop, come ready tonight. Like, you know, we, we try to posture ourselves, but we're all slightly irregular. It's, a, it's everybody, right? We're, we, we've all got our little things. But it's really weird because while we all have our little quirks and and idiosyncrasies and and unique little things that make us who we are, somehow we have all become convinced that if they, whoever that they are in your life, if they found out about our little irregularities, our slight irregularities, no one would want to be around us. So we hide. So we get out our phones and we, we... we get the perfect angle to show people just how normal we are, right? Why, why are we so guarded? You ever wondered that about people in your life, maybe about yourself? Like, what, what, what's up with that? We all know everyone's got their issues. Everyone, nobody's perfect, so why do we feel like we need to be? The Bible actually gives us the answer. See, it's nothing new. Ever since the garden where God intended us to be unguarded and free in our life and in our loves, where we were created to be vulnerable and liberated. When sin entered the picture, we went into a state of being guarded and in hiding, and we've been hiding ever since. But here's the problem. We are literally biologically hardwired for relationship. We talked about this a little bit last week when it comes to child development, cognitive development. We are literally made hardwired for relationship with other people. We see this in in realities. I came across a study of some kids that were in an orphanage in Austria, and they have been given a roof over their head and food on their plate, and they had been given all of what seemed like the necessities, but what they were not given is relationship. They were not touched or held, and when they came in after the Cold War, scientists found to their heartbreaking realization these kids had to be labeled as failure to thrive, because they. didn't just need the stuff. What they needed was relationship. The Bible answers the why behind this. We were created, you and I were created in the image of God, and God in his very image is in relationship, right? The image of God. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God in his very image is relational, interconnected. And when we're in relationships, we thrive. And the reality is we only thrive in relationships. It's no wonder that the enemy of our souls attacks relationships like nothing else. And so we find ourselves in this moment, and we find ourselves in this segment right here in, in human history and our story, that although we were made to connect and thrive in relationship, we sabotage our own connectivity by masks and self-preservation. And our void in here leads to conflicts out there with others. But there's great news. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down. Here's my core thought or my premise for the morning. The way of Jesus liberates us to live and love fully. The way of Jesus, the path of Jesus, liberates us to live and love fully. As we read this morning, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, here's how. Point number one is this, God becomes my most important. If you wanna thrive in your relationships on the inside and then on the outside, this is where it starts, God becomes my most important. Turn your neighbor and say, you're important, but not the most important. God becomes my most important. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 37, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He said, let me tell you where it starts. You want to talk about the path of God and human flourishing? This is where it starts. Love God with everything. Love him with everything you got. God is is preeminent. God comes first. He is the foremost devotion of the human heart, and that is vital. Jesus says it's the first and the greatest commandment. Why? I remember growing up, I had really incredible parents, and and they just loved me and, and encouraged me and blessed me, but I, if, if you could not tell, I like sports um, a little bit. Uh, I, I like talking about sports. I like playing sports, and so I was, I was involved mostly in contact sports because I got kicked out of the rest of them, um, and then Jesus did a work of my heart, but I, I was involved playing hockey all the way through and into college, and... And I had this one hockey coach, his name was Coach Ted, and and I had him for about six, maybe seven years, all the way through sort of age 13, all the way up to college. And and he wasn't a bad person per se, but he had a very unique formula for uh, motivating his players. What Coach Ted believed was the best way to motivate me is making me feel like I was this close from being cut. I remember multiple times I would come off the rink and had a relatively good game, scored a couple goals, had a few assists, I was feeling great, and I'd come into the locker room and, and they, right there in front of all the players, he would just chew me out and cuss me out and say, "Lash!" and he would highlight the one bad play rather than all the other things I did well. And, and in his mind, I think he was trying to you know put a fire underneath me and, and make me go after things a little bit harder, but, but it actually had the opposite effect. I actually ended up feeling like, like at any moment I was about to be cut from the team. It wasn't true, I was one of the better players at least in the middle of the pack when it came to this team but I always felt like I was one wrong move away from being (laughs) cut out and cut from the team. Now humans are interesting, we don't segment those things into one component of our life. This idea, this feeling of being cut from the team, how many of you know it didn't just stay in hockey? It translated into everything else. And without even realizing it, all of a sudden I brought this baggage into all of my relationships. What did not develop from my family of origin developed from this hockey coach where I felt like I was about to be cut from the team. Like in any environment, I had to justify my very existence. Otherwise, why do I even belong here in the first place? Some of y'all are like, man, this got really deep really quick. (laughs) I figured I gotta model it if I'm asking you guys to go there. This is my story. And I remember being up in Gainesville at the greenhouse there, and, and God began to highlight through an internship that I did this, this wound. I didn't know where it came from. And in retrospect, I, I was, I was kind of baffled at first. I like, mean, I had great parents, and I know God cares about me. and I know God loves Where did this come from? And I realized it came from this hockey coach that I had for seven years. And somehow, without my own acknowledgement or my parents realizing it, he had become the most important voice in my life. Now, I want to take this and I want to ride with this principle a little bit. If you remember last week, I referenced the book, Transforming Fellowship. It's a bunch of uh, researchers, psychologists, neuroscientists who are followers of Jesus that start with the Bible, then look at the cutting edge leading neuroscience and brain science, and then come to the conclusion, oh, by the way, all the incredible insights that we're making right now, God's been saying it for thousands of years. This is what they say. They say research has shown that self-esteem, you guys familiar with the concept of self-esteem, we all know self-esteem, how you view yourself, self-esteem is based on how we believe the most important people in our lives perceive us. This is going to this is going to preach. They said what we found based off cognitive science and research is that your self-concept, your self-esteem will be based off of how you perceive the most important people or person in your life views you. Now you could argue with that, but that's science. That's fact. Like that that is what we have come to know about the human frame and the human psyche, that reality will happen. I would argue that you could even try to go after it, but you would also be arguing with Jesus who said loving God is the most important. See, you will set your self-esteem based off of the most important person wherever they see you. That's where your starting point is which means you cannot change that reality. The only thing you can change, and really the, the core factor for this first movement is who is the most important person in your life? Are, are you tracking with me? Like if you base your self-esteem off whoever the most important person is, that's what you will do that. all You don't have control over that. All you have control over is deciding who is the most important person in your life. Maybe it's your parents, and if you had great parents, that might be a really good thing. If you had not so great parents who tried their best, but they had their own brokenness, that's gonna be a damaging thing, and it goes from there. You are literally setting your ceiling and your lid for self-esteem based off of who the most important person is. Which means if God becomes the most important person in your life, your lid for self-esteem goes through the roof. Through the roof. This floored me. I was like, oh my goodness, Jesus is a genius. Go figure. He's like, let me tell you what is the first and greatest commandment, the most important thing love God. Why? Because it's not about the potency of our weak, fragile love. It's about when we love God, when we esteem Him more than anybody else, His thoughts now set the standard for our thoughts about ourselves. Do you see this? It's amazing. Who's the most important person? in your life, and if it's God, I'm telling you, you will be thrilled. Your life will change. You'll, you'll have peace. You'll be fulfilled. Your self-esteem is gonna skyrocket because you're so amazingly and unbelievably loved by God. Before we go any further, I want, to, I want you to just pause for a moment and close your eyes. Just for, just to, just for a moment of focus. Life is so busy and distracted. Who is the most important person in your life? Or to say it another way, whose opinion matters most to you? Is it God? I know that's the right answer in church. It's always the right answer. Or is it someone or something else? What the Bible calls idols. Not bad things per se, but they're in the wrong place. Nothing else is supposed to get supremacy in our mind and hearts but God. Whose opinion matters most? Is it the opinion of people, the opinion of parents? Is it your bank account? Is it your job title? Is it your status? Is it your looks? Because you are capping your self-concept. You can open your eyes. The first movement is exactly what Jesus said. If you want your relationships to thrive on the outside, then your relationship has to thrive on the inside, and it starts with God, the first and most important current commandment, the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. If you want your relationships to flourish and thrive, then this is the first and greatest commandment. God becomes my most important, amen? So let's move forward. When this happens, when God becomes the most important, my most important, the voice that matters to me the most, I can move into a space where I know and love who I am. If or when God becomes the most important, I can move into a space where I know and love who I am. You guys have heard a lot of stories about my son, Liam. Here's another one. This boy's a trip and uh, this was maybe a year ago or so. I got a phone call from my wife or at least I thought it was my wife. And I answer the phone. I'm like, hey babe, what's up? And he goes, hi dad. That's like the middle of the day. I'm like, hey, hey buddy, what's going on? I oh, just wanted to say, hey, love you. I was like, oh, okay, go, cool. hangs up on me. <laughs> I was said, what in the world? Tried to call back, he didn't answer. I was like, okay, I'm sure there's a great story for that. Maybe he was with, you know, Nancy had him call me or something. I felt really happy, but I was like, that was interesting. And I didn't love that he hung up on me, but you know, that is life. So I got home and I was like, hey, babe, I got a phone call from Liam today when I was at work. She's like, oh, it wasn't just you. She said i was putting lucia our youngest down for a nap and, and i came out and liam had called dad Dad, you know he, he had figured out a way to unlock the phone these kids they are like tech geniuses right he figured out a way to unlock the phone and he had just looked at the contacts so you could see people's picture so he called me he called abuela he called Abuelo will and he was just he was just on his little call log thing and nancy's like liam what are you doing he's like i'm just making some phone calls mom like a little adult going to work. He's like, yeah, I was going to call T.O. Benji next. You know, I, I, he, he had big plans or whatever. And I loved it because w- what was happening in this moment is this boy, Liam was living out of the confidence that of course, any one of his relatives definitely wanted to hear from him in the middle of the day and then be hung up on because that boy had known nothing but love. He had been so loved that it was just natural that he, of course, everybody wants to hear from me. And so he was, just, he was just doing his thing, making some phone calls. What's my point? My point is that the whole first and greatest commandment that Jesus is talking about, I feel like oftentimes we, we, we sort of stop at, yeah, so why can't we just love God back? Come on, if you love God like you love football, Pastor John, don't you know how amazing this world would be? Amen. I love him more, a lot more, but I really do like football. But we we focus on our love for God, and I think that's part of it, but I don't think that's all of it. The point of it all is not that God is sitting there in heaven like, oh, why can't they love me, Michael? (laughs) Like he's not sitting around crying with the archangels that we're not. God is good, he's sufficient in and of himself. The point of Jesus's first and greatest commandment is not that God needs our love, but it's that we need his. It's we need his. Now, amen, when he loves us first, we love him back, right? That's what we do, we wanna be passionate followers and lovers of Jesus, but but there's an order to this and we love him because he first loved us. So I wanna teach you a word, it's a word in Hebrew. Everybody say chesed, chesed. If your neighbor just went like this, congratulations. You nailed it, all right? Chesed. This is this is a word that's often trans it's a Hebrew word. It's often translated in the English as mercy and loving kindness. If you've ever read in the scriptures his love or his mercy endures forever, his loving kindness is like the morning, it's new every day. If you've ever read this, this is this Hebrew word, Chesed. It's this incredible word. If you're a 1st Corinthians 13 fan, getting ready to get married or something, this word love in 1st Corinthians 13, this agape love of God, that would be the Greek equivalent, chesed, or agape, it's it's God's love. It's this otherworldly, no strings attached, self-sacrificing, unconditional love that we all crave, that every single human being, regardless of your religious affiliation, everybody's looking for, but we can't seem to find anywhere. Why? Because it's only found in God. Chesed. Say it with me one more time. Chesed. You say, you learned something new at church today. Now, I came upon this fascinating breadth of research when it comes to relationships and emotional health and thriving and human flourishing, and it has to do with actually what we sung about in the first song, joy. It has to do with relationships and joy. Now, I'm not sure if you've recognized this yet, but I pray the same prayer over you every single week at the end of service. Some of you were like, I just thought you ran out of words by the end of the sermon because you talk so fast. You're like, man, I just give up. Let me just give them the the leftover prayer that I warmed up in the microwave, right? That's not a half-hearted thing. That's actually purposeful. It comes from the Bible. This is Numbers chapter 6. God is speaking to Moses and Aaron, and he commands them to pray this blessing over his people. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So this Hebrew word, shalom rightness wholeness everything well as it intended to be god commands his people to pray this blessing now for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years god's people spiritual leaders and authorities it's still done in synagogues today and even fathers with their kids pronounce and pray this blessing over their people for thousands of years now this is fascinating to me here's what we're just now learning Remember, thousands of years, God said, I want you to pray this prayer. Bless the people with this blessing. Here's what we're just now learning about how God's wired our brains. Listen to these quotes from Transforming Fellowship. Our brain works best in the context of being with people who are genuinely glad to be with us. When somebody is glad to be with you, their face lights up. Their countenance shines. Their body language changes as does the tone of their voice. All of these convey a joyful reality. In fact, we develop strong bonds with those who light up to see us. It it turns out that identity and character develops in attachment relationships formed with people who are glad to be with us. The author continues, joy is actually the foundation where the brain learns new skills and it's the bedrock to strengthen existing skills. Neurologically, joy means we are the sparkle in another person's eyes. Some of you could just take that and move that into your marriage. That's a date night line right there. You're the sparkle in my eyes. In contrast, being weak emotionally means being low on joy. Y'all catch that Bible reality? The joy of the Lord is our joy. It's what psychologists are just realizing. Being weak emotionally means being low on joy, as well as the skills to help create joyful people around you. Joy gives the lovers a fuel to endure. It gives friends the strength to persevere. It gives families the ability to recover. And when joy levels sink, we've all felt this one. When joy levels sink, we are compelled to seek comfort from mechanisms that always leave us empty. Can I get an Amen. Now go back to the priestly blessing. Thousands and thousands upon years ago, God tells Moses and Aaron, I I am commanding you now to pray this blessing over my people, that the Lord would make his face shine upon you, that the Lord would lift up his countenance upon you. Do you see the connection? God has literally commanded Moses and Aaron, I want you to pray a blessing over the people that they're gonna have face time with me. Not like, but like, you know what I'm saying, like, relationship. FaceTime with me. Why? Because in order to thrive like God intended, we need to live with the awareness that his face is shining upon us. That's the only way it happens. It's how we're literally wired biologically. We thrive in relationships when people are glad to be with us, which is why marriage is so hard. Because sometimes your spouse does not want to be with you because they're like, you making me mad right now, right? It's, it's the reality of life. Sometimes your roommates are like, oh, oh, you left the dishes in there for, for two and a half weeks. Oh, praise the Lord. Two and a half weeks. That's a record. We got a science experiment in our kitchen right now. Oh yeah. Oh, they definitely want to be in your presence right now to, to lay some hands on you. You know what I'm saying? But What what do we do? If we thrive in relationships where people are glad to be with us, there's a problem because often people are not very glad to be with us, but there's someone who's always glad to be with us. Who is that? Right? So if you thrive in relationships where people are glad to be with you, what's the number one relationship that you should be in the most, in the most amount of time? Whoa! It's almost like we should gather together every week and encourage one another to spend active, deep, intimate, relational time with God because then we'd thrive emotionally. Oh, wait, we've been doing that for 4,000 years. Do you see this? This is incredible. Like God's been saying this. We're stumbling on these insights. We're giving these like groundbreaking new philosophical, you know, brain science stuff. And God's like, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, yep. 4,000 years ago. I got you, great, I'm I'm excited you played catch up. It's amazing. By the way, Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus did this. If you go back in, in Matthew chapter three, there's this dude named John wearing some crazy clothes. You talk about irregular clothing. He had camel's hair and all sorts of stuff. He's out there in the wilderness and he's baptizing people. You remember what Jesus does? Jesus goes to him. And he says, I need you to baptize me. And John's like, no, I need you to baptize me. And Jesus is like, no, I need you to do it. What happens when Jesus gets baptized? You remember? A dove comes down from heaven, descends on him, and who speaks? What does he say? This is my boy in whom I am. Wait, wait Pastor John, are you telling me Jesus, like, like the God man, like the son of God came to earth, he needed to hear father saying, this is my son. Who he needed to know that father's face was shining upon him in joy and delight. Yep. I don't know about the rest of y'all. I'm like, I think for us mere mortals, that probably means it behooves us to actively and regularly put ourselves in the same situation. Jesus modeled it as the example that we follow. We want to be passionate followers of Jesus. Jesus modeled this need. Here's the application, smack dab in the middle of the sermon. You and I, we need face time with God, focused, unadulterated attention where we can hear the Father say, just like Jesus did, man, you're my boy, you're my girl, I love you and I'm pleased, and I care about you, and I don't care what people, here's what I say, we need that time and that focus time because here's the thing, it's already true that God says those things, but if you're not listening, then you don't hear it, and it doesn't change you. My wife can make some incredible arroz con habichuelas, and, and I can come home, and man, the glory's about to descend, but I have to pick up a fork and put it in my mouth to experience its goodness, right? I think I'm hungry right now. I think that's where that analogy came from. You are unconditionally loved by God. Like turn to your neighbor and say, you are, you are. You are unconditionally loved by God, but you need to position yourself to receive that love. And if you do not, you will have nothing to give. Love the Lord your God, Jesus said, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the first and greatest commandment. Translation, church, stop trying to pour out of an empty cup and then be surprised when you got nothing to give. Because it starts with, and it comes from God. If you want to love others well, you must position yourself regularly and habitually to, to receive his love. I can love my neighbor as I love myself because of his great love for me, because of his hesed love for me, because of his agape, unconditional, unchanging love for me. When I'm deeply aware of the fact that God loves me and he accepts me and he made me despite my seeming irregularities and he adores me in the midst of my idiosyncrasies and my quirks, then I am free. And the path to emotional flourishing can truly begin. Step one, God becomes my most important. Step two, which frees me to know and love who I am because he chesed so loved me. And when that happens, point number three, I become free to love people deeply. See, often we skip to step number three and wonder why it doesn't work. It's because it's a a path, it's a process. Like, man, why, why is everyone so cruel? Why can't we just love one another better? Because we can't just love one another better. It starts with God. And when we receive deeply that love and position ourselves to regularly hear the voice of the Father saying, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you, I'm well pleased, then and only then are we liberated to have emotional availability to love others. Psalm 22 Jesus says, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus makes the connection and the correlation. It's the love God and love people paradigm that we've all heard, but Jesus says the order matters, and if you don't do one, you won't be able to do two, at least in any consistent way. The unconditional love of God and my secure standing in him liberates me to love my neighbor because I'm deeply in touch with the fact that I have already loved myself. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Check it off the list. I can move forward. It goes back to the very beginning. Ever since the garden, we we started hiding. Adam and Eve literally hide from God where they used to have deep, vulnerable relationship. They hide from God because of sin. And it's not too long before they begin to hide and fragment from one another as well. Self-conscious and self-focused, stuck and trapped in our shame. It's our human condition, if left to our own devices. But in Jesus, I can be vulnerable and alive because I'm secure in him. And now... I am unleashed to love. Are you guys tracking with this paradigm? You see how this goes? It it starts here and then it moves you forward. To, To hearken back to the quote from earlier from the book, Transforming Fellowship, our brain works best in the context of being with people who are genuinely glad to be with us. You need to know that. Like we all so, oftentimes are forced into some degree of toxic or unhealthy relationships. Maybe your family dynamic is toxic. Maybe your work dynamic is toxic. Maybe you're working on th- different spaces where you're in and, and there's different levels of toxicity here, but there is one relationship that will bring human thriving every single time. It's, it's God. But then we have a choice to make. Then you have a choice to, to, to say, are you going to treat people how... Maybe they deserve, maybe how they treated you, are you going to respond to people like God responds to you? Here's the application right here. Whoever is in your life, in your microchurch, at your job, in your family, whoever is in your life, let them know that you are genuinely glad to be with them, that it's not just God's face who shines upon them, but your face shines upon them as well. Everybody smile at me. That's pearly whites. People need that. And we can give them that gift. You say, but they, they, they already know. My mom, my, 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 my significant other, my spouse, they, they already know that I love them. Maybe they do, but you're not gonna go wrong to just let them know again. By the way, I, I have experienced that this week. Like church, I am so thankful for you guys. My mom, uh, some of you know, my, my father passed a few years ago from a, a sudden stroke and it was tragic and it was horrible and and my mom about 6 months ago got diagnosed with breast cancer and she began going through the process she had surgery this past Tuesday thank god everything went great the surgeon called and he was like it was amazing we got all the cancer out we feel so good my mom's recovering now in Houston and i'm excited love you mom she'll be back with us soon and and but what has meant the world to me is is y'all have been Absolutely incredible. Like I could not have asked for a more loving, supportive church family. You guys are amazing. Like I have not been able to have for the last several weeks a single conversation with one of you without, yeah, yeah, that's great, job. How's your mom? I've been praying for her. How's your mom doing? I mean, the, the amount of texts I've had, it's like I have, I have felt so incredibly loved by you guys that Pastor Mike called. He was supposed to come here and his kids got sick and last minute we had to change plans. He'll be here soon and he wanted to be with us this weekend and so he said, hey man, how are you doing? I'm like, honestly, I love this church. I love this church. Here's what it let me know. If or when life is challenging and hard, the best place that I, John Lash, wanna be is this church. It's what it let me know, like, because of y'all, because of you guys. I was like, man, if this, you, this place is amazing. Like, if I wasn't the pastor here, I'd still go here. Cause I love y'all. Imagine if that was the case all across our city. Imagine if that was a case all across South Florida where people just knew, man, the number one place you wanna be. By the way, we we have communities like that all across our city and all across South Florida. They're called Micro churches, imagine if in your micro church, people just knew it because of your texts and follow up and love and prayers and support. And the fact that you just let them know, man, we are so glad that you're here with us. We're thrilled when you walk into the room that your love overcame people's insecurities and they just knew, man, when I'm going through it, when, when life is good, when life is bad, when life is a ama- when I'm on the mountaintop or when I'm in the valley, the best place, the number one place that I know I wanna be is with my micro church. Imagine what would happen if we began to have spaces like that in a world devoid of encouragement almost it feels at this point, in a world that's like a desert of emotional encouragement. Imagine if there were these little oases of encouragement and joy popping up all over South Florida. You know what that's called? Revival, renewal, transformation. This week, who needs to feel the light of your countenance shine upon them? Ask God this week, then pour the love of God out onto them and give them heaven. (laughs) We're invited by God to use our voices and our faces to be like our Father in heaven and let people know, man, I am so glad to see you. And when and if and when we do that, people thrive. People thrive. You say, John, I wanna make a difference in this world. You know how you can? Make God your most important. Receive his love so you're secure in who you are in him and then shine your face on people as God pours his love out in your heart. It'll change the world, it'll change the world. Well, it seems so small, yeah, so, so does a single dude dying on a tree. That's how Jesus works. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it can't bring a harvest. It's these little things that seem so insignificant with big love and a big God behind it and it changes everything. We need to use our faces and our voices to tell people, I'm glad to see you. Get with the Father, follow his lead and lift up your countenance upon them. And listen, I get it, our world does not model this at all. Like, our world doesn't model this. Some of you have been in relationships with friends and roommates, and you've never truly agape chesed loved them. Some of you are married, and you've been married for years or decades, and you've never stepped into that no-strings-attached, unconditional love of God. Here's the great news. You can start today. You're invited into that today in order to thrive, we need to operate from a safe place and the love of God gives us that safe place and it is then and only then that we can truly move out from self and begin to love others deeply and genuinely. And we can be bravely vulnerable because we know how deeply, unconditionally, no strings attached we're loved by God. Let me close with this story and then we'll end in a final chorus. The worship team can come up and they're gonna lead us in just a second. I was reminded this week of a, of a random scene I saw on a TV show. I couldn't even tell you what the show was. But in the, in, in the show, there was, a, there was a son and a daughter. They were like teenage, and, and they were there, and, and mom and dad were around the table. It was this tense scene, and they were like, kids, we need to talk to you. And they were like, oh, and they, and they felt it coming. They like, kids, we need to talk to you. We love you. Mom and dad love you, but, but mommy and daddy don't love each other anymore and you watch the kids just break. I mean, any of us that have experienced divorce, I mean, they, they just, these kids are crushed. And, and the mom went on to articulate why and the backstory and all these things. And she was doing her best to go through this, this story. And, and finally she got to the end and she said, okay, kids, do you have any questions? And the daughter raised her hand. She said, I have one. She said, mom, if you stopped loving dad, what's going to give me the confidence that you're not someday just going to stop loving me? And the show kind of moved on. They went into some other stuff and I just sat there stunned because I'm like, that's really the question, isn't it? If there's anything that this life has taught us in the frailty of humans and human love, it's that, man, it sure feels sometimes like it's on a razor thin edge and And if we're not careful, like I did with my hockey coach, we bring that same insecurity of acceptance to our relationship with God. Well, God, what's to to prove to me that you're not just gonna give up on me because I know who I am and I know I'm gonna blow it. It's only a matter of time. This is the beauty of the gospel. We all wonder it with people. It's where this insecurity starts. And if we're not careful, we bring this insecurity to God, which is why God so loved the world and you and I, that he sent Jesus down to prove his love and manifest fashion to show us that while we were still enemies of God, he died for us and he loved us. And he said, "If, if that's what I did for you while you were an enemy who could not care and were actively going against me, how much more? How much more? When your heart is tuned, when you're trying, the hero of our story, friends, it's why the first and greatest commandment is all about God, because we're not the hero of our story. Our love is not the hero. Our effort is not the hero. Our self-efficacy is not the hero. The hero of our story is and always will be the chesed, amazing, unconditional love of God. And when that gets a hold of our hearts, it changes us. We become different people. These aren't just skills. This isn't just self-help. This is transformation. This is, man, if you could ever grasp how unconditionally loved you are by God, then little by little, drip by drip, you might be able to extend that love to others as God supplies it in and through your life. And the cross makes it possible for God's face to always shine upon us. The good news of the gospel is because of Jesus and his sacrifice, his countenance is always lifted upon us. I pray that prayer every single week because it's true every single week. The Lord bless you and keep you. He has made his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. He has lifted up his face, his countenance upon you through Jesus and promises shalom, shalom. Perfect peace in Jesus. And when that happens and we're in touch with it, we thrive. Jesus promised he'll never leave you nor forsake you. A friend, listen to me, he meant it. Watching online right now, he meant it. You are loved by God, period. You are accepted by God, period. Well, if he knew, he does. Well, if he realized, he does. Well, doesn't he think? He knows, and he loves you. And the first step to unlocking the thriving that you desire is a right relationship with him. Why don't you join me as we pray? Just bow your head and close your eyes. It's just a moment of quiet and privacy before God. You don't need to search any longer. The unconditional love and acceptance you've been searching for in people and places that you've never found, it's all found in him. It's found in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you wanna take step one to make God the most important person, the most important voice, the most important opinion in your life, I wanna give you that chance right now. Maybe at some point he was, but he isn't anymore. Or maybe he never was and and this is a new thing for you, but you sense it in your heart. Maybe you're at the end of your rope and you're like, Pastor John, I'll try anything. Here's the great news, you can decide today, you can decide right now, if you're watching online, if you're over there in Guyana, you can decide right now, God, you're the most important person in my life. Your words, your thoughts, your ways, your plans, your path. Another way to say this is Jesus, you're the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and and you've had interactions with God, but, but you stopped at commandment number one and never moved forward to what Jesus said is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're here this morning and sensing conviction from a loving God that he's calling you to step out and love others as well, with that chesed, with that agape, unconditional, no strings attached love from God, wherever you're at, in the room or online, I just want you to pray a simple prayer. Say, Lord, help, help me. Why don't we all stand to our feet? If I could get some of our prayer partners up here to, to line the front as we sing out this final chorus about the love of God, if you need to make that decision to make Jesus Lord, leader, the most important voice in your life, I wanna invite you to come forward. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you. If you're online, you can request prayer right there in the chat, but let's close out our time together in worship and then I'm gonna come back up and sing out over us the ironic Benediction. Let's do it.
1: Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all. saying that again
0: Lord, we need your love. We know we thrive when we're in deep relationships with people who are glad to be with us, and you always are. We know that we set our self-esteem and self-concept based on whoever is most important, and we deeply need that to be you. Otherwise, we're off track before we even start our race. Lord, help us. I wanna close out this morning doing something that I have not done often, but I experienced in my life every single week growing up. This Aaronic benediction, this priestly blessing that I referenced in number six, where God commands Moses and Aaron to pray this over the people in thousands of years now, including today in Jewish synagogues. Uh, this is traditionally sung over people and. And I felt as I was preparing, you know, I'm not necessarily a a singer, but I felt as I was preparing, like I was supposed to sing it over you and that God just wanted to do something special. So I don't know exactly what that is. And I'm pretty sure I'm not gonna sing in that key. (laughs) So thank you guys. But I'd love to pray this. And then for real, for real, like if, I I attempted in, in my best human efforts and I pray God used it by his spirit to share my own story of internal wounds and struggle because I'm a human and you're a human, and before you leave this morning, if something hits you, and you're just wrestling, you're like, oh, if they knew, that's the devil. That's the devil. It, it goes back to the Garden of Eden stuff. Like, we all, we all have the IR on our, on our soul tag. We're all a little irregular. No one's gonna judge you, because we all have it. But God wants to do something, and I, I had a sense he wanted to do some very deep things in hearts this morning. So, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna sing this blessing over us. I'll sing it in Hebrew, I'll pray it in English, and that'll be the official dismissal. And if you'd like prayer, if you'd just like to talk, we'd, we'd love to, to talk with you. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha Ya'er Adonai panabelecha v'humnecha Yisa Adonai Yisa Adonai In Jesus' name, love you, church. I pray God's blessing over you. Amen. Amen.